check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. The second half of the season has officially tipped off, and we're looking ahead and a little bit back on this episode. Thanks for joining me, everyone, and welcome to A Toast to the A-Town, presented by the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm your host, Andre Aldridge, rolling solo on this numbers edition of the podcast. It's episode seven, which is the worldwide lucky number. But I'm going to focus on the number three. Many reasons. We're in the third month of the year, and March has always been a big part of my life. My older brother's birthday is the first week of the month. My maternal grandmother and my mother, God rest their souls, both had birthdays on the final week of March, separated by just one day. Mine's is in the middle of the month, and somehow I remember that my first girlfriend in elementary school was born on March the 18th. More important for our purposes, it was the three-point shot that allowed the Hawks to win their first game after the All-Star break, when Tony Snell hit a sensational game-winning bomb at the buzzer against Toronto on Thursday night. That was their third consecutive win under interim head coach Nate McMillan. Now, we've obviously got a long way to go until the playoffs, but since this is the season, we're expecting our team to make a return after a three-year absence of no postseason play. It is noteworthy that Tony Snell's three-pointer moved the Hawks in the eighth place in the Eastern Conference, ahead of the Raptors, despite both teams having identical 17-20 and 20 records. And with that thought in mind, we should spend some time talking about the bottom of each conference and the NBA's official one-year experiment with the play-in tournament. That just means there's no guarantee that this format will live on after this hopefully final COVID-affected season. But here's a reminder of how things will shake out with the play-in tournament. The seventh and eighth place teams will advance to the playoffs by winning just one of two possible games. And remember, the play-in games are not considered the playoffs. So again, the seventh and eighth place teams will advance to the playoffs by winning just one of two possible play-in games. The ninth or 10th place team will have to win two games in a row to qualify. And it goes a little something like this. There will be what's called the 7-8 game at the home of the seventh place team. The winner of that one game advances to the playoffs as a seven seed. The loser of that game awaits the winner of the 9-10 game which will be played at the home of the ninth place team. Now, the loser of the 9-10 game is done. The winner of the 9-10 game will move on to play a road game at the home of whichever team lost the 7-8 game. And whoever wins that contest will advance to the playoffs as the eighth seed of that conference. So a distinct advantage for teams that finish the regular season in seventh or eighth place when it comes to the play-in tournament because one of those teams could go one and one and still advance to the playoffs. A nine or 10 seed can only reach the playoffs by going two and zero in the play-in. And officially, the play-in tournament games are not the playoffs. I've heard people say, all we have to do is finish 10th and we're in. As you can see, not exactly. Actually, as far as the Hawks are concerned, let's reach for the stars, like sixth place, and avoid the madness. So most importantly, that's the bar in my mind for the Atlanta Hawks. Hasn't changed from anything you've heard from me before. And I say that as we've added Cam Reddish to the ranks of our walking wounded. He had missed six games before the All-Star break. And this week had a non-surgical procedure for the soreness he's been dealing with in his right Achilles tendon. Cam will be in a walking boot for at least a week. So we obviously wish him the best in returning to good health. 
Now, the return of Bogey Bogdanovich and the continuing accuracy of Tony Snell from beyond the arc have been awfully big for the winning we're seeing from our side. It's very important for these Hawks to continue to gel during a pair of weekend games here in Atlanta against the Kings on Saturday and the Cavaliers on Sunday, because after that, they'll spend 17 of the next 19 days out on the road in the Western Conference where they'll face nine opponents. That will be the hardest part of our season up until this point. So knowing that all of the pressure isn't on Trey Young to always be the hero is what was so big about watching Tony Snell's gargantuan shot against the Raptors. It's evidence of someone scoring just six points in a game and having a huge effect. It's not just that the Hawks picked up the W because that's what we witness. What we as fans and the media don't see this season is what every member of that locker room has been witnessing. Tony Snell shows up every day, puts in his work, rarely misses any shots, and goes about the business of being an ultimate professional because that's his job. So what the team saw in Tampa Bay against the Raptors at that very last second when it mattered the most is exactly what they see behind the scenes on a daily basis. Now, there was a lot of talk after that game about how we don't know Tony Snell here in Atlanta and how quiet he is. Well, here are a few things about Tony all Hawks fans should consider when watching him work. Tony was raised by a single mother in Watts, California, who took many third shift jobs so she'd be able to see her two kids off to school in the mornings and be available for PTA and after school meetings. She worked all kinds of jobs, data entry clerk, secretary, security, saying the only thing she ever turned down was her collar when it was about working to provide better for her family. So when your overprotected mom never even leaves you alone in the park while playing basketball growing up your whole life and always make sure there's an adult checking in on you, no doubt that leaves an imprint. Now, while Tony was attending Hawthorne High School in Los Angeles, the already intense gang situation escalated to an extra level. Now, that caused a drastic decision for his mom. We're moving 60 miles east to Riverside. Safer environment, better environment. Hello, Inland Empire. That's a Southern California reference. Sorry, y'all. I, I am a native. Now, after a year at Moreno Valley High School, Snell ended up at Martin Luther King High School. There, he teamed up with another similar lanky player, both with cornrows and both with exceptional basketball skills. That other guy's name was Kawhi Leonard, and they led that MLK squad to a season of 30 wins against just three defeats. Their team was the seventh-ranked high school squad in the nation. And with that affiliation, you can now have a better understanding of why Snell is so talkative. How about being an opponent of that high school squad? Their two best players just get buckets and play hard-ass defense. No histronics, no noise, verbal kent, nowhere in the building. Just like Kawhi, Tony Snell allows his game to do the talking. And to this day, he still helps out the youth teams he was involved in back in Riverside, quietly. And his number one fan always has been and continues to be his mother. This is what you need to know about Tony Snell. All right, let's spend a little bit of time on the rest of the league. Unofficial halfway point means I can give out my half season awards. Let's start with the big one, and that's MVP. Now there's no guarantee this plays out for the end of the year, but for the first half, this is it. 
Joel Embiid of the 76ers would be my first half MVP. As I sit here now, the Sixers are on top of the Eastern Conference, and I didn't expect that. The big man was already outstanding coming into this season, and I think his footwork has improved. This past offseason, Joel hired a chef, hired a chef, changed up his diet, and made some changes to how he trained physically to get ready for this year. The only negative he's had this season was the COVID protocols that forced him to miss the All-Star game. Now, Embiid was already an MVP quote machine from day one, but now his game is even louder. And he also protects the paint for a Philadelphia squad with a top six defensive rating. Maybe we also have to give him serious consideration for a defensive player of the year. Now, I'm not ready to switch that yet. So my first half defensive player of the year is still going to be Rudy Gobert of the Jazz. This, despite Gobert allowing Embiid to score 14 fourth quarter points during Philadelphia's huge overtime win over Utah. Continuing with the number of this episode being three, that huge game between the league's top two teams at the time took place on March 3rd. A late three-pointer by Joel Embiid was part of the story that sent that game to overtime. But no human being was going to be able to stop or slow down Embiid that night on his way to 40 points and 19 rebounds. So we put that to the side and also recognize that Gobert helped his team go damn near a month without losing a game. The Jazz lost just two games in February. They only lost three in January. And that month, they had an 11-game win streak. So Gobert is the guy for me. Most improved for the first half, I'm going with Julius Randle. And not just because he looked like the second coming in beating the Hawks. We already knew that Randle could put in work as far as an inside game. Well, he's continuing to do that even better. He's also busting threes, and that's an addition. He's also passing and defending. He became a first-time All-Star this season, and the honor was well-deserved for a player who has upped his game on Broadway. Now, we could make a legitimate argument for Detroit's Jeremy Grant, who showed he was ready during Denver's playoff bubble run last season. And I don't have to be a homer when I say that our DeAndre Hunter would have been up for this first-half honor if he had not gotten hurt. But again, I'm going with Julius Randle for my first half most improved player. A couple of other awards I need to give out and no debate at this point about either one. The Rookie of the Year is performing for the Charlotte Hornets, where they're fortunate to watch LaMelo Ball play on a nightly basis. I remember in another sport when Venus Williams was killing it, and she was the teenager from Compton turning heads and setting records. She and her father both said, this is great, but my little sister is going to be even better. Yeah, right, whatever. And then, boom, they were not bullshitting. So with everything that was Lonzo and really LeVar Ball, to have had a jaundiced eye concerning LaMelo Ball, well, I would not have considered that action haterade. But my goodness, LaMelo Ball has been tremendously impressive. So easily, the first half rookie of the year. Another no-brainer, how about six-man of the first half? Hello, Jordan Clarkson of the Utah Jazz. When the Jazz and Sixers met in Utah in mid-February, it was Clarkson's 40 points over 30 minutes of work that led the way during that Utah victory. Now, both teams had the best records in their respective conferences back then. Jordan Clarkson has changed his game. Sure, he was known as a buckets guy, but the ways he gets buckets has evolved. 
and he gets little credit outside of Utah for his improved defense. He also shows up for games with the attitude that teammate Donovan Mitchell gets disrespected. So in addition to his team and Mitchell, that edge has helped him and his team to the success they've had so far this season. And my final first half award, coach of the year. And it's a former Hawks assistant, Quinn Snyder, who continues con to conduct the jazz band in Utah to his specific beat. Now, Quinn was great in Atlanta. He was great as a coach and as a communicator with those of us in the media. He dealt in honesty 24-7, and, and that's an awesome attribute to have in any part of life. I'm happy for the success that he's having in a place that I used to call home for a little while. And regardless of their regular season record, Utah Jazz will be slept on once the playoffs start. But that's another story for another episode, <laughs> a far off episode. All right. Some final thoughts for this shortened edition of the podcast. It's been a year now since any of us were, many of us were at State Farm Arena on March 11, 2020. And as the second half of that game against the Knicks was winding down, well, everyone in the arena saw the alerts on their phones that the NBA season and really life as we knew it was about to have a monumental change. On a small scale, I was able to see Vince Carter take and make his final shot as an NBA player. But that was the only positive memory from that night. And as we look ahead, it appears that possibly after April 1st, every person here in the state of Georgia will have, have access to the vaccine. Hopefully that's the case. Defeating the virus and making the world safer for everyone should be top of mind for everybody. And speaking for those of us who hate needles, well, I will still be front and center at the first opportunity when it is my turn for the vaccine. So with that thought, I say stay safe, mask up, and be sure to join me next time right here on A Toast to the A-Town, presented by the Basketball Podcast Network.